You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel. This is the next message in a sermon series that we have entitled God's Prescription for Resolving Regret. And we've been working through that prescription over the past several weeks here during the summer of 2021. And this morning, we have come upon this word, repentance. It's the, it's the next step in God's prescription for resolving regret. Now, what's interesting about repentance is, for the Christian, it's a moment of clarity. It, it's, it, it begins to kind of clear things up about really who we are, who's responsible for, for our sin. It's a moment that we get to look ourselves in the mirror and not point our fingers at anyone else, but to say, in essence, you know, it's me, God. It's me. It's me, oh Lord. I'm standing in the need this morning of repentance. Now, repentance is a beautiful word, but it's been given a bad reputation. And here's why. If you're like me, you've been to a big event, a convention center, a basketball, football, some sort of event, and there's the guy on the street corner with the sign, as big as life, and it says, repent. And he's making sure you see it. In fact, I don't even know that he can see it, because the truth of the matter is, he only sees you as needing repentance and not himself. Oftentimes, repentance is giving a very bad name by self-righteousness. Repentance is the exact opposite of me holding a sign and showing you to repent. It's the exact opposite. It's me turning around the sign and saying, you're the one in need of repentance. It's not me pointing a finger at someone else and saying, you know, you're the problem. It's understanding that, that, that I need repentance. And so I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 11. And we've been studying the life of David and Saul beginning last week. We're going to continue to do that this week. The first couple of sermons, we contrasted the life of Peter and Judas. We're still contrasting the life of Saul and David, but we're going to focus this morning mainly on David, because that's what the story of 2 Samuel chapter 11 is about. It's about David's failure. David and Saul were both sinners, and by the way, I'm a sinner. (laughs) I know you understand that prayerfully. We all should, that we're all sinners. And even though David and Saul were both sinners, they were only momentarily the same. And here's why. Because unlike Saul, David became a repenter. And so because of that, they are eternally different. They may have been momentarily the same, but at the end, they became very different and eternally different. And so we're going to look this morning to break repentance down at answering five questions. And the first question we're going to begin with is this. Who needs to repent? Who should repent? And before we talk about who should repent, maybe we should draw some attention to who should be calling us to repentance. Let's answer that question first. You know, one of the things we see in Scripture is we see that every prophet in the Old Testament called those that listened and followed to repentance. In fact, every good leader, every good elder, every good dad, every good small group leader, anybody who is leading others 
should be calling them, should be teaching on repentance. All good leaders do that. It is the subject of the Bible. This is how God calls us to a better place than where we were. It's repentance. We see in Ezekiel chapter number 18, and we could go to a lot of places in the Bible, but let's start right here in Ezekiel 18, where the prophet says, but if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he's committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Verse 22, none of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Then down in verse 30 of Ezekiel 18, Here it is. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Here the prophet Ezekiel calls people to repent. He calls people to turn from something. And that brings us to our prescription card. And if you recall, we started off with an understanding of What gets us into trouble, why our regret begins to become a major problem in our lives is because we rationalize our regret and it doesn't change anything. In fact, it just gets worse. But when, instead of rationalizing, when experiencing regret, if instead of that we will reflect, we will take responsibility, we talked about that last night, then, this morning, repent. Next week, we can make restitution with those that we've sinned against. This is God's plan. And this, this morning, is a very important discussion because we all have regrets. And what we do with our regret is one of the most important things about us. Rationalizing gets us nowhere. Repenting, repentance is the game changer. And so taking personal responsibility is what we focused on last week. And anybody who is trying to help anybody else from getting set free from what would ruin them is going to call that person to take personal responsibility for their actions. People who are incarcerated often find themselves in a place where they really have to consider, where has my sin got me? Oftentimes in counseling, the counselor has an opportunity to help that person focus on, on some, taking some personal responsibility for, for, for what they're involved in, whether it was their fault or someone else's. And so we are excited about announcing that we're bringing back Celebrate Recovery to Gospel Light. How many of you have ever heard of Celebrate Recovery? Raise your hand. You've heard of it at least before. Wow. An enormous amount of people in the building have heard of Celebrate Recovery. It's a tremendous ministry, and there was a church in town, several churches that do it. The church that we partnered with had to shut it down, so we decided to bring it to our campus, and we're working the logistics out with the elders and trying to figure things out. But what's interesting about Celebrate Recovery, as is every addiction plan, all of the steps are about personal responsibility, all of them. Just a couple here of the Celebrate Recovery principles on the screen. First of all, the first step is realize I'm not, realize I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. What I see in that very first step is someone who simply comes to the place where they say, I'm going to own it, own it, own it, own it. I I can't manage my life. I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. Step two says to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he 
has the power to help me recover. I can't do this on my own. I'm, I'm helpless. I, I, I need God to do that. And, and there's several, eight, 12, actually 12 steps all together. They're wonderful steps. You can check them out uh, actually on their website. And we'll be using these steps to help people come to a place of, of victory. But taking responsibility is that doorway that leads to what the subject we're talking about today is all about. And that's repentance. But it begins with personal responsibility. In Joel chapter number 2, not just in Ezekiel, it's so common, it's so important in the Old Testament, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and do that with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Why? Because he's gracious. He's merciful. He's abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Hosea, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, every Old Testament prophet seemed to be focused on the same thing. Repent, repent, repent. But that's the Old Testament, right? I mean, hey, after all, the New Testament is a lot softer, right? Well, maybe not. John the Baptist began his ministry by saying this statement, repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent out his disciples. And when he sent them out, he simply said these words. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Just kind of cut and dry. Simply put, this is what I want you to do. Go out and tell people to repent. In the early church, Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent therefore and turn back. There it is again. All throughout Scripture, repent, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Second Timothy 2.25, God may perhaps grant them repentance. What does that lead to? A knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Repentance is a beautiful word. It's a beautiful concept with a bad reputation because of self-righteous people who, who, who may, I feel as if in my own life, I'm confessing to you that at times I've been self-righteous and I've given repentance a very bad name when I've commanded everyone else to repent, but I've not repented myself. So here comes the words of Jesus Christ himself. As he spoke to the churches in the book of Revelation, if you had a red-letter edition of the Bible, these words would be in red. He said in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And then in Revelation 2, 16, Therefore, Jesus said, Repent, if not. I'm going to come against you and war against them with the sword of my mouth. All of that to be reminded of this, how absolutely repentance, how absolutely essential repentance is. Now, let's answer the question, who should repent? Why? uh, We know that we have God's messengers calling us to repentance, and so I'm, I'm just simply doing what God has called me to do this morning. And I'll address that a little bit more towards the end because this is not very easy to do. And I'll explain that towards the end of the message. So, so who should repent? Well, Scripture tells us specifically who should repent. 
It's really easy. It's, it, I think it's, uh, it, it's good to get the answer straight from the Word of God. It's found in Acts chapter number 17 and verse number 30 where Scripture says that the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. So according to the Bible, who should repent? Everyone. Who does everyone include? Me, you, and us. All of us should repent. So that's the message this morning. And it's a very common message in Scripture. And it probably should be more common in our pulpits. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of, in, in London, England, pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And I wish I could write one paragraph like he would write entire sermons after sermon after sermon. He was called by many the prince of preachers. He would not have called himself that, but just tremendously respected. And every pastor, including myself, would have several volumes of his books in their office. I mean, this is someone who you probably even have heard of. Mr. Spurgeon preached it in London at the Metropolitan Tabernacle for months and months and months at one time on the one word, repentance. Every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Repent, 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 repent. Finally, a lady met him in the hallway, and he told this story in one of his sermons, and she met him, and she said she was angry at the repetition of this subject of repentance, and she said, Mr. Spurgeon, when are you going to stop preaching on repentance? He looked at her and said kindly, when you repent. So let me give you five categories of who needs to repent. Here they are. They're all found in 2 Samuel chapter 1, our text, or chapter 11, I should say. First of all, here's who needs to repent. People who are doing different than what they know is right. Who needs to repent? People who are doing different than what they know is right. As James said, if you know to do right and you do not do it, it is what? It's sin. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Question. Should kings go out to battle, yes or no? Yes. Did David go? No. So let's ask David. David, are you a king? Yes, I'm a king. David, should you, uh, did you know that kings go out to battle? Well, yeah, I knew that. Well, David, did you go? No, I didn't go. Well, David, did you know that you were supposed to go? Yes, I knew I was supposed to go. Did you go? No, I didn't go. Who needs to repent? People who know to do right and don't do it. Secondly, people who don't flee temptation. I wonder if there might be someone here this morning who's dangling on the edge this morning. You're detailing the possibilities of whether or not you're going to do the right thing or you're going to do the wrong thing. Haven't made up your mind yet? You're just sort of trying to figure things out. Should I or shouldn't I? Kind of rolling the dice with this thing and contemplating uh, what, what might happen if you do. Can you get away with it? Will it cost you too much? Look, if you would, please. At 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, it happened late one afternoon. David arose from his couch. He was walking on the roof of the king's house. He saw from the roof a woman bathing. 
And the woman, the woman that he saw, was very beautiful. Seeing isn't the sin. Assessing is the sin. Can't help seeing, can help gazing. Can't help seeing, can help staring. You see, as David stood there and saw this woman and and gazed upon her and looked at her and actually to the point where he saw that she was very beautiful. People who don't flee temptation need to repent. Number three, people who act on sinful impulses. Let me explain in 2 Samuel chapter 3, and, or rather chapter 11, verse 3 and 4. David sent and inquired about the woman. And David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. So here he saw her, right? We talked about that. The next verse, he sends messengers to get her. They bring her to him. He lays with her, commits adultery with her. Who needs to repent? People who act on sinful impulses. And by the way, just so you know, I have sinful impulses. I do. We all do. We all have sinful impulses. I mean, the tendency we have to hold a grudge, at times to slander our neighbor, to get our priorities out of whack, to neglect the things that really matter. And what happens is sometimes we act on those sinful impulses and things only get worse. Who needs to repent? People who cover their sin. Second Samuel chapter 11 we see it right here just continuing to, to unravel on David. So now he says to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. That, that statement there would be euphemistic for go lay with your wife. Be intimate with her. Go, go, go down. Hey, just, just sleep at home with your spouse. Of course, Uriah refused. He was more honorable than David. And David invites him, and he eats in his presence, and he drinks, so he makes him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down into his house. Interesting, isn't it? We see here David covering his sin. And maybe there could be someone here this morning who has come to church this morning, and you are covering your sin. You've come with sins that have been covered. And listen, What a glorious opportunity we all have in front of us if that's us. So much is at stake here. Listen, families could be changed for generations if we would take the time to repent, uncover that sin, and get it right. Marriages could be saved. Addictions could be broken. Reputations could be restored. Grace could flow again where, where, where it has been dry and parched and hard. God's grace can flow again. But not as long as our sin is covered. Who needs to repent? Category number five. People who have persisted in the wrong over a long period of time. Just continue to, 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 to not repent and to make excuses and to rationalize and to cover up. Look, if you would, at Second Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse number 14. So in the morning, David writes a letter. And he sends this letter to Joab by the hand of Uriah. 
And if you were here last week, you know this. If not, you probably know it. But I'll tell you exactly what that letter would have said. It would have asked Joab to put Uriah at the forefront of the fiercest part of the battle. The purpose of that would have been so that he would, he would be in a very dangerous place, so that he might get killed. Because David is, you've got to cover his sin. And you know, sometimes when you just keep covering, it just gets worse and worse and worse. I mean, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. If he doesn't repent, he just continues to do the wrong thing. And so here, Uriah goes to the forefront of the battle and and is killed. And David says to the messenger, after he's killed, he looks at Joab and he says, can you imagine this? He says to Joab, because Joab, he's not doing so well. I mean, you know, he's the one that received this death warrant. And he's like, David, this just doesn't seem right. And here's David's rationalization. Don't, Don't let this matter displease you. Get over it, dude. The sword devours now one and another. See the rationalization here? Hey, hey, people get killed in battle every day. Get over it. You should be used to it by now. People die. Wow. David, yeah, people die, but not all the time is it like this where they're set up, where, you know, you, you actually put him in a place to be killed, David. Can't you see it? Who needs to repent? We all do. Question number two. Why do we need to repent? Now let's get right into seven reasons why. And I think we can find them all right here in the next chapter. Chapter 12 of David's story. So look with me if you would please at verse number one. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. The first reason why we need to repent is because of this. God is pursuing you. God is pursuing me. Go back to that verse for just a moment. Notice what it says here. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Question, who sent Nathan to David? Who did it? The Lord did. God sent Nathan. It was the Lord pursuing him. You see, all the while, what David needed to understand is that God was after him. God wasn't giving up. God was pursuing him. God sent Nathan. That leads me to my second reason why we all need to repent. And that is because I know God is speaking to me through people. He's speaking to me through people. By the way, let me, let me interject this about God pursuing you. You are here this morning not by accident. This is not like some sort of a deal where you're like, yeah, I just randomly, you know, kind of eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and it ended up, you know, I probably should have gone somewhere else after I, if I'd have known you just preaching on repentance, I definitely wouldn't have come. <laughs> That's not true. You're here today by divine appointment. I'm here today alive, breathing, preaching, because God sent me here as a messenger to bring this message to you because he's pursuing you. God uses people to get his message across. God uses churches. He uses his word. Hey, does he not use songs and worship and music? Sure he does. God uses all of these things to speak to us. The third reason why we need to repent is because I know that I'm blindly self-righteous. Sometimes I just think I am so right when I am so wrong. I'm blindly self-righteous way too often. 
And, and, and you know, we, we, we've talked before about relationships, and next week's going to be about restitution, and oftentimes what's damaged is relationships. And so we see, you know, the, the, the husband-wife relationship. We see the, the, the parent relationship with their children and, and, and how oftentimes there's so much decay and relationships are being broken and, and people are, fall, uh, are falling farther and farther apart. Why? Because they don't seem to come to a place where they see themselves as doing anything wrong. How many times have I sat in my office and just watched two self-righteous people deny, deny, deny? We're not getting anywhere. We're not going to get anywhere. I mean, how often do we see a, a, you know, a, a parent uh, just constantly approach their children in a, in a negative, critical way, raising our voices and getting upset and, and, and going that route, all the while knowing that we're just self-righteous. And, and, and there's got to be a, a more godly way to approach that. Number five, four, I need to repent because I know there is no excuse for disobeying God. I know that. You know that. I know that. Think about this for just a moment. If you, if you could have gone to David, if I could have gone to David and just said, David, I know everything, bro. I know it all. Detailed. I know what you did. I read the letter. I, I know you committed adultery. David, this is no secret. You did these things. David, this is wrong. How could David had defended himself? How could he have done that? Listen, church, it's... it's, it's We know we need to repent because we know there's no excuse for disobeying God. Number five, I need to repent because I know the consequences of my sin will be painful. Painful. Sometimes they just keep piling up and piling up. And such it was with David. It kept getting worse and piling up and rationalizing. And before you know it, you've now committed murder. You went from just gazing to adultery to lying to murder. I mean, it just keeps going. And at the end of the day, repentance, it's the only thing that will stop the damage that's happened. And that's what happened to David. He repented and everything changed. Look, if you would, please, at verse 13 of chapter 12, where David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Wow. Number six, because the Bible says there's joy in repentance. That's a good reason to repent. Don't you love this verse? I love this verse. This is a happy verse. It's found in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 7 where the scripture says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 self-righteous people who need no repentance. So gospel-like, can I give you some really cool news this morning? We can actually start a party in heaven this morning. (laughs) It only takes one person to repent. One person to repent from their sin for salvation or maybe in their sin to a better place with God. Heaven rejoices. The band strikes up. Vince runs that electric guitar one day. Vince, not yet, right? Amen. And uh, he's glad he's not in heaven yet. I just put Vince in heaven. That was way too soon, right? Church, there is rejoicing in heaven when we repent. That's a reason to repent. I want to make heaven a party place. 
I want, I want heaven to party over the fact that I've, I've made a decision to get into a better place with God. And then number seven, because the Bible says to be zealous over restoration. Now, I know we're going to get to that next week. We're going to talk about restitution and restoration. But just for a moment this morning, could I draw your attention to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19, where Scripture says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Now, if we just stop there, you know, it's as if you don't understand what that needs to look like. I mean, Jesus says, I love those who I reprove. I love those who I discipline. And so here's what I want you to do. Since you know I love you when I discipline you, and I love you when I get on to you, here's what I'd like to see more out of you. Get excited about that. Be zealous about that. It's it's not a bad thing. Be zealous about repentance. If I were to walk in here this morning with sackcloth and ashes, I mean, a big old potato sack over me, and I mean, that was my attire, you know. I I just came in, I, I was just... Humble before God, and I told you, you said, what in the, what is up with pastor? Well, I've been fasting, and I've been praying before God, and just confessing my sins, and coming before God, and I'm telling you, it's been the greatest week of my life. I'm t- it's been amazing. I've just had so much joy. It's been incredible. God loves me so much. He's been disciplining me this week. I'm so happy about that. Notice it got quiet. No amens. That was the place to shout right there. But it's so against our nature to be zealous over repentance. We're not that way. We're like, uh, you know, I mean, if I come forward, I mean, people probably think I'm like, did something wrong. Who cares? That's all of us. Well, you know, maybe they'll think I, I did this or did that. You know, you said the word adultery. Probably everybody thinks I did it then, you know. Well, you know what? First of all, they need to repent for being judgmental and critical and self-righteous. Can I get an amen? Look, get the elbow stopped. Quit looking. It's funny. Sometimes from this view, you preach and you see the person who's not listening at all, the self-righteous person who's just doing this. We, We need to change the way we come to church, not looking around seeing the people that aren't here and just be glad we are here. We are here. We, we get to be in a place where God can change us. Restoration. That's why we had a prayer of confession this morning. And the prayer of confession said, gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry. Did you have a problem with that? I didn't. I mean, I, I didn't sit there and think, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm carrying mine just fine. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, I looked, I looked at a beautiful woman bathing, gazed, and had a great time, and Yeah, you know, this week my marriage is on the way to total destruction, but I'm good at carrying that. I can handle it. Lose my kids, lose my church, lose it all, but I'm good with it. No, no, I can't carry that. That's too heavy for me to even imagine that. Too real to hide, to cover. Too deep to undo. God, just forgive me. Forgive my lips Forgive, excuse me, forgive what our lips tremble to say. Have you ever had a hard time just getting specific with God about your sin? Just think about it. God, I, I, you know, I, I'm sorry. I, 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 I mean, you know, I looked at the girl. I, I mean, you know what it is. It's, it starts with an L, God. It's, 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 well, God, just figure it out. 
It's hard sometimes just to lay it out. Our lips tremble to confess. What our hearts can no longer bear, what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. I have no problem with that. that that's, I prayed that loud and clear this morning. But, but listen to this. He went on to say this. Set us free from the past. We can't change the past. We can change the future. And God grant us to grow. And here it is. Here's why we repent. That we might become more and more like the image of the Son of God for whom we were created in. This is a beautiful thing. Repentance gets a bad rip rap. It doesn't deserve it. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. And that prayer, my friends, is what the church community needs to confess our sins and to thank God for his grace. We need his grace to flow again in our lives. And only repentance can bring that about. And so, what is repentance? Well, the Greek word is metanoia. And it actually means to rethink, to change our minds. Let me go back on the rooftop. Ooh. Yeah, um, that's not good for me. I'm not going to stare, gaze, contemplate. I'm going to rethink that. In fact, I'm going to change my mind and go in an entirely different direction. I'm going back in the house with my family. Should have been at the battle. In fact, I think what I'll do is I'll just call Joab and tell him, I'm coming, Joe. Sorry, I really screwed this one up. (laughs) I should have never stayed home. I'm on my way to the battle. It's a change of mind. It's rethinking the direction that you're going because all change begins with a change of mind. If I want to move from regret to rejoicing, then I have to change my mind about some things. I have to, that's what repentance is. I have to turn. I don't want to be here anymore in this place that I'm, that's not going to end good. This is not going in a good direction. I'm going to turn, change my mind. I'm rethinking this. I'm reflecting so I can take personal responsibility, so I can repent, so I can... Seek restitution because in all choice to sin, there is self-deception. In choosing to do wrong, there is lying to myself. Every time I choose to do wrong, I had to lie to myself. Because, I mean, let's face it. If I do wrong, it's not going to get me to a better place. So I had to say some things to myself to do wrong. I had to say things like, I can handle it. I got this. Just once, just once. I mean, who's going to find out? Nothing bad will happen. This will make me happy. I can face the consequences. I can escape the consequences. It's just the way I am. Everybody's doing it. It can't be wrong if it feels so right. This is the mental gymnastics of choosing to sin. Repentance, though, is detecting those moments. Repentance is destroying the lies that led to the bad choices because that's exactly what they were. They were lies. And I'm going to tell you something. That, my friends, on the screen is hard work. Roll up your sleeves. It's not easy. It's hard work to detect the lies because we begin to believe those lies. and, And sometimes the voices that are against us are loud and speaking lies to us. And in the name of Jesus, we need to... Go to Scripture, claim the promises of God. 
Because more people talk about repentance than actually do it. That's why we need our walk to talk a little louder than our talk. I mean, a lot of people talk it, but don't walk it. And we're speaking against that. We're, we're going in a different direction. So when repentance happens on the inside, here, here's what it produces. Here is what it leads to. Number one, it leads to, first of all, confession. Confession. Now, repentance precedes confession. Repentance is what makes confession complete. So, so hang with me for a moment. I love 1 John 1, 1.9. In fact, 1 John 1, 1.9 was the verse we quoted after we confessed or after we, we, we prayed that prayer together. But oftentimes I have found that 1 John 1, 1.9 has become somewhat of an emergency verse for everybody who just continues in their sin. You know, hey, I'm sorry, you know, I, I yelled at you, honey. I, I know I yelled at you. I've been yelling at you a lot lately, but hey, just don't worry. Every time I do it, I go to the bedroom, 1 John 1.9, confess for the fall, the sin comes over the Amen. It's all good. I will scream at you again, but first John one nine, and we sort of just first John one nine our sins and stamp first John one nine, and we're thankful for first John one nine, and it's the reason why we just keep doing what we're doing. Hang tight, you're missing it. That wasn't why we read the verse this morning, and that's not what that verse is there for. Let's stop and study the word confess for a moment because that's the key word. That's why the verse starts with if we confess. What is confession? Confession is this. Dictionary definition literally means this, to say the same thing. That's what confession is. So if we confess, if we say the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin, if we say that, and by the way, you can't say what God says about your sin until you see your sin the way God sees it. That changes everything. Confession is easy when repentance is complete. So repentance is the process of seeing my sin the way that God sees my sin. And when that happens, when that happens, the family of God, the church of God, the household of faith becomes much more tender about repentance. This week, I, 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 I drove to uh, Fort Bluff, which is in Dayton, Tennessee, to preach for like the 10th year, and I don't know, it's funny, every year I go, I, I, I have to ask myself this question, when are they going to stop asking me? It, it, and the interesting thing is, I'm a little insecure at 56, preaching to 650 teenagers. It's a little different. I keep thinking, where, where's the young guy, you know? And so I finished preaching this week, eight sermons, under the tabernacle, 650 kids, and they said, would you come back next year? So I guess I'll, 57, try this again. The thing I noticed about this week is that we, we, when, we, when God's messenger preached God's word, the tender hearts in that audience, which were teenagers, received it and responded with repentance. There were tears. There were confession. There was openness. I mean, we had, we had, we had young people that were coming down confessing their suicidal thoughts, their tendency to draw themselves towards lust and pornography. A lot, of, a lot of refiner's fire going on. A lot of prayers, clean my hands, purify my heart. It was, it was powerful. And so I thought as I looked at that picture and I, 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 I preached this week, I thought, oh God, 
I know that we look at camp as this perfect environment where we don't have phones and we don't have reception and we're out in the middle of the woods and we took a five days to get out and they're teenagers and so that's kind of what we as adults say. You know, well, those young people, you know, we've already sold our wild oats and we, you know, we appreciate these sermons, preacher, but this is more of a checkbox for me. I, I wonder if maybe what we don't need is a little dose of what they got last week. What do you think, Troy? You were there. I need it. Troy, you came up to me every night and said, preacher, you're preaching to me. You you think you're preaching to the teenagers, but you're preaching to me. And Troy, I was preaching to me too. Here's my point. I'm not asking you to flood the altars. I'm not, let's, let's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying this. When you come to church, do you feel convicted? When you come to church, do you, do you feel as if the messages are for you? That the word of God that's being preached whether it's for me or Jeremy or Butch or Mo or, or, uh, or Scott or Craig or whoever's up here. Do, do, you, do you feel as if it's me, Lord? I need this. And it may not look like the altars are full and I get it. But, but could we just take a moment each Sunday to just let God work in our lives. And when, when that response song is sung, can we sing it as unto the Lord and, and, and as if no one else were in the building and it's just, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not thinking of anyone else or who needs this message or whether my spouse heard it or not. It's, it's me, God. I want so desperately to see my sin the way that God sees my sin. Confession. The second thing it leads to is restitution. What is restitution? Restitution is getting right with the people that you injured. And that's why we're going to touch on it next week. Again, the card says, reflect, responsibility, repent, and finally, I'm going to make restitution for it. In the past, it seems as if we have looked at restitution as this quick fix, right? I mean, I know I've been guilty of this in my marriage, right? Here here it is, Caroline. So I've done this before to you. I've said, hey, sorry. Let's quit talking about it. Everything's okay. I said I was sorry. Now let's just get back to the way everything was. And sometimes we, we, we want restitution to be quick. I don't think we need to be looking for a quick fix. A.W. Tozer, who is probably my favorite theologian. I, I love Tozer. I got probably more of his books than anyone else. He said this, and I quote, Beware of overly hasty repentance. We are a sinful race. And until my sin has gotten past my little theology department and wounded me to the core, it has made little or no difference. Wow. Repentance is a change of behavior. And it's obvious and it's real. Now, how do we repent? I mean, we've talked about who should repent, why should we should repent, what is repentance, how to repent. Well, it's not easy. It's not easy, but... The most concentrated chapter on repentance is 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. So Paul said this in verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter. This is such an incredible verse. Follow along. What letter is he talking about? 1 Corinthians, right? Does anybody have any clue how rough 1 Corinthians was? It was like a really rough letter. I mean, I have read 1 Corinthians like it was to me. And it's almost embarrassing. It's like I'm blushing while I'm reading it. I'm like, oh, Paul, goodness, that's terrible. I mean, like, it's like, you know, be careful about your children reading 1 Corinthians. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, wow, it is, woo. He didn't hold back. And so he says, 
as a result of writing that letter. And then by 2 Corinthians, the church had, had really repented and, and they were moving in a better place, right? So he says, for if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. Well, I did regret it. Well, no, actually, I, I, I don't. Can I tell you that's how I feel when I preach messages like this? I feel exactly that way. You know, I don't regret preaching. Well, sort of do. I, it's so hard sometimes to preach these things because I'm just fearful that anyone in this room would think that I am preaching this, that I'm just, you know, preaching this with any kind of a, uh, an attitude or uh, accusations or trying to make you feel bad or, or, or pour a, a bunch of, you know, uh, regret into your life. No. Away with regret. That's the exact opposite reason. So it's tough sometimes to preach tough messages. And so pastors like Paul, we don't regret it, but we do regret it. Then here's why we finally agree that, no, we really don't regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you. Only for a little while, as it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. I can rejoice because... Yes, you grieved, but you grieved to repentance. It was a godly grief so that you suffered no loss to us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. That's beautiful. That's the whole purpose of this series. Regret has got to go. God doesn't want his people living with regret. And so Paul addresses this here. Regret is not the goal of this series. Regret is what has to go. Repentance is what rids us of regret. And so for that reason, I don't grieve that I'm preaching this. It's not easy. But if it leads to you grieving and repenting over your sin, man, that's going to lead to a joy, to an eternal salvation, to an amazing future, to a better place, to the likeness of God's son. The prodigal son is the poster child for repentance. Wouldn't you agree? Luke chapter 15, right? Remember that? I mean, he, it was, it's an amazing story. He demanded his inheritance before it was due. And then he goes out into a far country, right? And he finds himself eating with the pigs in the pig pen. And then finally, the Bible says three things began to happen. You see, repentance is... Mind, emotions, and will. Notice the first thing the prodigal son does, did was, in, the, uh, in verse number 17, is he came to his, himself. He came to his senses. We need to begin to do this right now. Come to ourselves. Come to a place of honesty where we admit, I did wrong. This is ridiculous. I've got to stop this. I don't want to do this anymore. That's what he did. That's what we need to do. That's what repentance produces. It is, first of all, it it is I know I did wrong. I get it. I'm sorry. Number two, verse 19, it's emotions. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Do you know what real repentance does? People who repent get off their high horse. They're no longer, you know, high and mighty. I had to get off my high horse. Honestly, I remember as a preacher, I was way too excited about preaching to you than I was to preaching to me. 
But I have learned that I am not worthy of even being your pastor. It, it, listen, you know who knows me better than anybody else? Me. It's only the grace of God that I'm here today. It's not because I'm some, some special person. Yes, are there things that a pastor has to do and live by? And Yes. Are, are there things that, that I am to be a pastor? That yeah, God gives us a list of things and, that, that we need to do as elders, but I want you to know something. It is only the grace of God that I am here today, qualified to be a pastor, and to be honest with you, at times I wonder if I really am. It changes things. I don't preach from a high horse position like I used to. I've learned to repent. I've learned to repent. And then notice it's a decision. It's it's a decision of the will. In verse 18, he said, I will arise. I'll go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. There is a plan of action of how he was going to be different. And that's what repentance is. It is, I know I am wrong. I'm grieved by my sin. And I'm implementing a plan of action to change. That's repentance. The who, the why, the what, the how, and then the when. When do I repent? Well, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice... Don't harden your hearts. Hebrews chapter number 3 and verse 15, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Act Hebrews 4, 7, today, if you hear his voice, today, today, not tomorrow, not next week, not, not, not when you get home. Today, today, right now, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. What is it right now that God is going to specifically point out in your life that you're going to get very specific with God. What, what, can, what can we call out right now in our hearts to God and say, I'm sorry? Specifically, I'm sorry for this, God. I'm sorry. God, I want, I want to make this right today. What is it? Is there something in, in our finances we need to confess as sin? Is there something in our, in our moral compass that is way off. Is there something in our attitude, our temperament? Am I yelling a lot at my children? Am I, am I yelling at my wife? Am I raising my voice constantly? You know, I found that what I, when I get my sin on the table first, people listen a whole lot better, even my own kids. If I got to sit down and talk to Joe or Mo or Zoe or Chloe, I've learned this is a whole lot better approach. Hey, Joe, I know I'm not the perfect dad. I've screwed screwed up a lot. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the times I haven't been the best example. But Joe, you know I love you. I love you so much. And so, Joe, I want to tell you, I'm concerned about something in your life. And I, and I, I want you to listen to. Can I tell you, the way to get the heart of our children is not to scream and yell. It's to, it's to understand that we've been there. We've made the same mistakes. And what they need is a dad that will correct them, but do it in love and humility. And that's what I'm doing today. I, I'm simply saying, 
what is it today that you can go to God for as opposed to saying, I'm a good Christian God, I've got it all together. Why don't we just get bare before God and just lay ourselves at the altar today and say, Father, my sin makes me sick. I'm sorry. I'm no longer delighting in my sin. I am disgusted by it. And God, I need you to forgive me. And I feel as if we would start there. We would begin to see the grace of God flow once again in our families, in our lives, in our testimonies. And we could really reach this community in a, in, in a more meaningful way, a more powerful way. And so if there's anything you need to talk to God about, we're going to stand in just a moment after I pray. And if you need to talk today to a pastor, to an elder about repenting of your sins for salvation, I encourage you to come and get that right today. Father, I love you. I thank you for this opportunity to once again open your word. And God, I am myself, Lord, humbled by your love for me. Father, I can say unequivocally, I have been convicted of my sin in this message. Just things that I need to repent of and so I can be in a better place as a husband. I can be in a better place as a pastor, as a dad, as a friend. God, I am so prone to my sinful impulses. It's crazy. My flesh is constantly warring against my spirit. And the things that I would do, God, I don't do. And the things that I shouldn't do, God, sometimes I do. And Father, God, I ask you to help me. Help me, help us to repent. Father, I pray that you change us from the inside out. God, would you clean us this morning, clean our hands, purify our hearts, and refine us here today on your altar. We love you. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together?